What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, what's good, my guy? Chilling, bro. Busy week of work. Just excited to watch this game in a few minutes. And at the same time, boy, do we got some content this weekend. Oh, yeah. There's no shortage of it going to week three in the NFL. It's going to be a good one. So I know we got a bunch of games to cover. Uh, let's not waste any more time. You ready to go into these topics? But of course. You want me to cover the slate or do you want to take it? Floor is yours, my brother. All right. So, like I said, got a lot of games to go through. Uh, the first one is probably the biggest matchup of the weekend. Uh, it's going to be the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. Both teams are 2-0, and coming off pretty solid performances after week two. That's that's definitely going to be our featured game for the for the week. After that, uh, we got a good NFC battle taking place between the Packers and the Bucks. Uh, this will be the fifth time that Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady have gone up against each other. So, it should be a good one to go over for Sunday. After that, we got the Rams and the Cardinals. We got a nice little NFC West battle. Uh, both teams have had their ups and downs in the beginning of the year, but you know, both teams are looking to get over 500 if they get a win on Sunday. After that, we'll kick it over to the NFC North with a solid matchup between the Detroit Lions and the Vikings. The Lions have got off to a pretty decent start with their offense, and the Vikings are probably looking to get back uh, to square one after getting absolutely destroyed by the Eagles on Monday Night Football this past week. After that, we'll talk about the Eagles and the Commanders. we got a nice little NFC East matchup. So, I mean, like I said, the Eagles are coming off a really nice game against the Vikings in Monday Night Football. And uh, the Commanders are a decent team so far with uh, Carson Wentz having a pretty solid start in his first two games with the Commanders. And then to wrap up the episode, uh, we'll feature the Monday Night matchup that's going to take place between the Cowboys and the Giants. Giants are off to a 2-0 start. It's the first time that they've actually gotten to a really good start in quite some time. And the Cowboys are coming off of a pretty solid win at home with a game-winning field goal against the Cincinnati Bengals last week. So that's pretty much a slate. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into these Week 3 matchups, the first one being the Bills and the Dolphins. This is by far and away the feature game of the week. Uh, the Bills and the Dolphins is going to be a great one that takes place on Sunday. Uh, just to recap where both teams are at, uh, the Bills are sitting at a 2-0 record. So are the Dolphins. Uh, the Bills are coming off of a great game on Monday Night Football where they destroyed the Tennessee Titans. The game was essentially over after halftime, and both starters ended up getting pulled from the game from both teams uh, pretty much before the end of the third quarter. And the Bills look like one of the best teams in the NFL at this current moment in time. And then the Dolphins had one of the most miraculous comebacks that we've seen so far coming back from a 35 to 14 deficit uh, late in the second half with two attack of Ayaloa and the Dolphins offense putting up 28 points in the fourth quarter, uh, stunning the Ravens with a score of 42 to 38. And by the way, I should mention that he threw six touchdowns in that game. So it was quite a game from Tua. So this is going to be a fun matchup. Uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into it. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Bills going up against the Dolphins in Week Three, who do you think is going to win this matchup and why? So I, I, I was going over this matchup right, and I was looking into a little bit more of the details and, of course, the percentages and statistics as I normally do. And then I just remembered, bro, the Bills have absolutely slapped pretty much every team they've gone up against, and obviously one of those teams being the defending Super Bowl champions in the Rams. Last week, not really worried so much because Tennessee's not that good. But when you go and you look at the Dolphins, this is probably the best offensive team that they've played thus far. And I'm not discrediting what the Rams have, but because of their lack of performance, I think that that was kind of like not necessarily the Rams at their full strength. Like Kyle and I always say, uh, they take a couple of weeks to really get acclimated, get comfortable, really kind of dive and set their feet into what they're going to become as the season progresses. 
But the Dolphins have shown early Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Tua Tagovailoa are all on the same page. The dynamic uh, play from their running backs and Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert finally getting underneath them is going to be a very compelling matchup for the Bills. But then you also have to look at the Dolphins side and say, the Dolphins haven't exactly beat any good defenses. You know, like I know that the Patriots are pretty solid. I know that the Ravens started off tough, but there were a lot of blown coverages in that second half. The Bills far and away are the best defense in football. The Bills far and away are the best offense in football. This is going to be a battle of literally Miami's defense and trying to see if they can stop Josh Allen. I don't think that they can. I honestly think that the chemistry between Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen is going to be too much to stop. And of course, at the end of the day, Von Miller is going to be in the backfield a whole lot trying to chase down Tua Tagovailoa. So I think that at the end of the day, as compelling as this matchup is on paper, as tough as this is going to be because it's a division game, I think the Bills win this game by 10 or more points because I think that Josh Allen is at that level already this early in the season. And I think that that Bills defense is going to propose a whole lot of problems. And I think that because of the film that they're going to have studied from the Baltimore game, they're not going to let Tyreek and Jalen get that open in the secondary. I think that they're going to play a lot of contain, a lot of zone. And if Tua's got to be that accurate guy that we know he is, it's going to be a lot of underthrow. excuse me, it's going to be a lot of, you know, throws across the flat, checkdowns, and it's going to be throws in the middle of the field, and he's going to have to make it count. And if those receivers are left hanging with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek being undersized, we all know that those Bills safeties with Poyer and Hyde are going to be hard-hitting plays. So I'm going to go with the Bills, probably by the score of, I don't know, 28-17, maybe even 24-14, something along that battle, something along that manner. But I do think that the Bills come away with this and go 3-0. Yeah, I agree. I think the Bills are going to come out on top on this one. But I will say that Miami does present Buffalo a pretty interesting challenge here. And it's simply just because in the first two weeks, really, that week two performance by Miami is what I'm kind of using as a crutch here. Miami put up 42 points against the Ravens, which is a pretty decent sized feat, despite all the slack that Tua had been getting throughout the offseason and within the first couple weeks, just because of what was supposedly his inability to really get that Miami offense into a dynamic fashion. Well, 42 points on the board kind of counteracts that. And when I look at Buffalo, Buffalo is probably the best team in the NFL. There's really no other way to put it. Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, you could also throw in Gabriel Davis there as well. It just seems like they're already running and gunning within the first two weeks of the year. And I've proposed this idea to Kev um, just when we are talking just in general when we're not recording the Bills offense kind of gives me a 2007 Patriots vibe. And maybe when Peyton Manning went to the Broncos, where the Broncos had Demarius Thomas, uh, Eric Decker, Julius Thomas, where their offense was just stacked and they were throwing touchdowns left and right. The Bills are at that point just with how impressive they've been, especially last week against the Titans, where they put up 41 points. Granted, the defense got some points on top of that, but that Bills offense could not be stopped by Tennessee. And there's a very real chance that I think that Tennessee not Tennessee, that Miami's defense is going to have a real tough time slowing down the Bills because the one thing that I take away from last week with the Bills, they didn't have Gabriel Davis. He didn't play last week. And if he is back in the lineup this week, you got to stop him, Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, Isaiah McKenzie. There's a lot of options that Josh Allen can throw to on this upcoming matchup. And I don't know if Miami has the requisite pieces to be able to slow them down to the point where Miami can get this win. And also to flip it, when it comes to Miami's offense, Miami's going up probably against the best defense that they've gone up so far, like you said, Kev. 
And I'm not so sure that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are going to be as effective as they were when they played Baltimore, when they had that huge fourth quarter rally where they scored 28 points in that fourth quarter. I do think that Tua and that offense can get points on the board. I just don't think it's enough because I think the one way that that Bill's defense is going to counteract Tyreek Hill is that they're just going to put their two safeties deep. And if Tyreek Hill catches everything, it's going to be short and intermediate routes. They are not going to let him get behind the safeties and beat them deep. Because we saw that last week against the Ravens defense where Tyreek just burned everybody on, I think it was the game-tying touchdown uh, near the end of the fourth quarter. But all things considered, uh, Buffalo to me is far and away uh, the better team in this matchup. Uh, They've looked like a much more well-rounded unit than the Dolphins have just because the Dolphins had a really tough time containing Lamar Jackson last week. There could be a very similar outcome with containing Josh Allen because Josh Allen can extend plays with his feet. And there are many times uh, we have a lot of examples from last year to be specific where Josh Allen was the leading rusher for the bills. And that could actually play its, itself out once again in this upcoming matchup. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the bills win this one by two possessions. Uh, if I had to say, I think the bills put up 31 points against Miami. And I do think that Tua can put up, maybe 17 to 20 points when it's all said and done. So if I had to put a score on it, I'm going to say that the Bills win this one by the score of 31 to 20. Uh, They'd move to 3-0 on the year and would probably cement themselves. They would cement themselves as clearly the best team in the NFL if they're not that already. I'm not discrediting Miami. They came back. If they were to come back again against a team like Buffalo, I wouldn't be surprised. But I don't think that the success of last week is going to carry on. We're like I'm not... Like, guys, I'm, I'm being so serious. I'm not trying to take away from what Tyreek and Jalen Waddle did last week. It was absolutely incredible. But you have to look at it from a professional standpoint and as a defensive-minded individual. If you were to look at the overcast view, there were so many blown coverages where corners or linebackers thought that the safety was there or the safety got caught up in another route crossing the field. And it was just like, how are they that open? I don't necessarily think two is going to have that success again. And I'm not saying that it was a fluke. I just don't think that with the league's best defense, that that's going to be a repeating occurrence. I don't think that that's going to be a recurrence, excuse me. Um, And I just, I don't know, man. I really think that Buffalo's just on a mission. And I'm not saying that Miami's not going to make a wild card spot or that they won't have success for the rest of the year. I just don't think anybody's beating Buffalo, quite honestly. Kyle, I don't know about you. (laughs) I think overall, I mean... The only way that a team's going to be able to slow down Buffalo is if they could sh- at least slow down Josh Allen in that offense. And it's to kind of make matters even worse for an opposing team to go up against Buffalo, you know, scoring points against Buffalo's defense is going to come at a premium because that Bills defense, Kev, we saw what they did to Derrick Henry last week. Derrick Henry Loved was it. ineffective. Of it. Listen, put the bias aside here. Derrick Henry's nice. I never said he was bad. I'm just saying I loved watching him not perform well. That's your bias coming in, bro. Oh, because your bias never comes out. I I can respect greatness when I see it. Derrick Henry's a I never said he was bad. Okay, hold on a second. I would have picked Derrick Henry in my fantasy league, in my big fantasy league, if he didn't get picked the pick before. And thankfully, I didn't because he's had two pretty piss-poor performances thus far. He has. There's no denying that. But I don't even really remember Derrick Henry getting that decent of a carry he didn't have any breakout runs against that bill's defense and i mean look when your quarterback's ryan Tannehill, is that team really going to go anywhere significant with the lack of receivers that they have at their disposal 
Not no, really. but Tannehill's amazing because he they, he led the uh, the Titans to the AFC Championship two three years ago. Dude, he's he's the goat. I mean, they you had. The, I mean, to be fair, um, they did have the number one seed last year. So I mean, that has to count for something. And right, you know, right, that, right. Because that, he's that so good. That does include the fact that Derrick Henry was out for at least half of the year last year. And uh, they didn't lose the number one seed. So I guess there's some sort of credit that I have to give Ryan Tannehill. But, man, there was something about the AFC Divisional game that just I can't get out of my head where didn't Homeboy have like three interceptions against the Bengals? Something like that. Maybe the game losing interception. I don't know. I'm just saying maybe he had the Jameis syndrome where he just kind of mistook the different colored jerseys. I don't know, dude. I, white and orange is really complicated from blue. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's it's, yeah. it's difficult to distinct. I don't know. I mean, might be colorblind. Maybe he needs some LASIK eye surgery or something like that. But eh, you know, despite that, eh, you know, Brian Tannehill is okay. I mean, he he's come like back a, down to earth. That's all look, I'm saying. I I don't know. It's I mean, I look back at Kirk Cousins in that freaking Monday night game against the Eagles. I, I don't know who'd be worse. I mean, it'd be kind of a tough one. I'll take Kirk because he's got he's got he's got Jay Jets. I'll take Kirk because he's got Jetta. That's it. He did have how many interceptions against the Eagles on Monday night? Three. He, no, no, no. I'm saying if it came down to a Titans Vikings matchup and we had to make a decision on what quarterback we would want, I'd definitely take Kirk Cousins over Ryan Tannehill right now. He's got more weapons. That's fair. That's definitely fair. But no, I mean overall, I mean to kind of get back on point, I I, I think you're 100 right. The, the Bills. Man, they're running and gunning. They're in midseason form already. And it's going to be a hell of an effort for another team to go out and beat them. Because they're going to have to slow down that offense to probably 14 to 17 points, force some turnovers from Josh Allen, maybe force a fumble as well. And then have to basically play a mistake-free game on the offensive side of the ball going up against that Bills defense. Because that Bills defense, I mean, like you said the other day, bro, they were swarming. Tua can't they, start off slow. Can't. No, they, he has to be mistake-free as far as I'm concerned. It, 100%. I mean, it, if the Dolphins are at least in the game at halftime, I think that's a win. And Big I time. think at that point, you know, it's whoever makes the better second-half adjustments. And we, I will say, Mike McDaniel, uh, the head coach for the Dolphins, he's gotten off to a good start. Kudos you know, to him. They, they, Great bro, they, play calling. They could have packed it in being down 35-14 to 14 in Baltimore. Just looked like Baltimore was having its day. But Baltimore took their foot off the pedal. Miami took advantage of that. So... It wouldn't surprise me if the Bills are in a little bit more of a dogfight in this one, just because yeah. the, fir- the first two games they've won fairly convincingly. Uh, and these divisional games are always competitive because those teams know you best. And all things considered, I think at cl- the closest point that I could see this game getting is maybe like three points like when it kind of gets to the end, but I still think the Bills are going to be the team on top by the end of it. Facts. But with that said, we'll move on to our next game. And that is going to be a pretty solid NFC battle between the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So there is a little bit of history going on here between uh, the Packers and the Bucks. Obviously, we could all remember that uh, that 2020 NFC Championship game where the Bucks went on the road and uh, beat the Packers in Lambeau Field to advance to the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Ended up being Super Bowl champions. Uh, but there is a little bit of turnover here. Uh, we got a new wide receiving core essentially for the Green Bay Packers, now that, that Devontae Adams is no longer there. Uh, there have been some early struggles between Aaron Rodgers and those young receivers at his disposal early on. Uh, we'll see if they can remedy that going that 
going into week three. And then when it comes to the Buccaneers, uh, they are sitting at a 2-0 record, but really injuries have been a point of emphasis going into this matchup. Uh, there's a very good chance that Chris Godwin and Julio Jones could be out for this game. Uh, we'll dive into this a little bit more extensively when we get into our analysis. But overall, this is going to be a very compelling matchup that takes place on Sunday. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, when it comes to the Packers going up against the Bucks, who do you think is going to come out on top and why? To be honest, I think Aaron Rodgers is due up for one. Um, I think it's about time that he shakes this narrative that he can't beat Brady. Also, this is probably the most convenient time for him to do so because of the injuries that Kyle had just alluded to. Uh, obviously, the offensive line of the Buccaneers has been the biggest form of concern for me personally, uh, and yet they are 2-0 and because of that stout, probably league's best defense right behind Buffalo. And then you go and you look at what they've been able to do in the offensive end, and you said outside of Leonard Fournette's big performance in Week 1, it's been a little lackluster. So I'm going to go with Green Bay here. But obviously, at this point, this is where it gets complicated because the... Green Bay Packers offense is reliant upon one person, in my personal opinion, and that's Aaron Jones. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have always had one of the better rush defenses in the league over the course of the last four to five seasons. So if Aaron Rodgers is going to solely rely on the run game with Jones and Dylan, and of course, you know, some different kind of plays that LaFleur is going to be able to get out there, maybe with something with Randall Cobb out of the backfield, I don't know. You're going to have to dial something up. I think it's going to be a struggle win because Let's be frank, I can't rely on the Green Bay receivers. Alan Lazard had a touchdown, but only had two catches last week. Randall Cobb has kind of been inconsistent. Sammy Watkins has been inconsistent. And their rookies have not performed well. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I'm picking Green Bay for the sheer fact that I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to capitalize on the amount of turnovers that I think this Green Bay defense is going to be able to take away from Tampa. I think the pass rush is going to get to Tom Brady. I think Jair Alexander and Rajul Douglas are going to be able to limit the... I guess the, the quantity of receivers that's going to be available, because let's be frank, even if Julio does play, he's going to be injured. But the number two outside of that is, is Rashad Perriman. I don't have enough faith in the backup receiving core with Scotty Miller and a couple of those other players that they're going to be able to move past that Green Bay secondary. So I'm going to go with Green Bay, and I think that it's going to be a close one in Tampa, especially depending on the weather, because it has been raining quite a bit in Florida the last couple of weeks. Um, I do believe it's going to probably be somewhere along 14 to 17 Green Bay. again. If Green Bay's pass rush can get to Tom Brady, I think that this game can be easily blown open. It's just a matter of will Tampa's front four break and can Aaron Rodgers take advantage of the possessions he's going to have? You know, the funny thing is, I have really no confidence in either team to win this game because each team has their own issues. It's just, you know, the young wide receivers for the Packers, the amount of injuries that the Bucks are dealing with. I mean, honestly, this game is a toss-up as far as I'm concerned. I think with this one, though, I'm going to side with the Bucks. Like I said, not a lot of confidence here, but I am going to favor Tom in this one simply just because I think they're going to do just enough to get by. And I have a little bit more faith in Tampa's defense than I do Green Bay's. Because when I look at Tampa Bay's defense, for example, right now, Kev, they've only given up, I believe, 13 points in the first two games. They're basically averaging a touchdown allowed in the first two games of the year, which is very stout. And... When I look at Green Bay's defense, in week one, they got exposed a little bit. Justin Jefferson had a great day in that week one matchup against Green Bay. You know, Green Bay did get it back together in week two. They were able to get back into the win column. But this is going to be probably the most difficult defense that they faced so far. And I think that that Bucks defense is going to give them issues. And, you know, the 
young receivers are going to be a point of emphasis here. And with the way that Tampa secondary has essentially locked down the opposing receivers that they've gone up against so far, that is a really good point of a note here. And I think that by and large, I think Green Bay's offense is going to struggle to move the ball up and down the field. I still believe that they're going to put up points just because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to find ways uh, to get some touchdowns in there against that stout Tampa defense. But overall, I think that Tampa's going to do enough just based off of sheer will of their defense. And I don't think that Tom is going to turn the ball over against that Green Bay defense. Now, I have to say, when it comes to Tampa's offense, they are injured. And not just a little bit, a lot of it. Their offensive line has been an issue. There have been times where Tom has been getting pressured consistently in these first two games against the Cowboys specifically. And New Orleans brought some pressure as well. Not having Mike Evans is going to hurt because he's serving a one-game suspension. Chris Godwin and Julio Jones are probably not going to be in the lineup. If they do, it'll be a game-time decision for both of them. But overall, I think that Tampa's going to simplify their offense. They're going to focus on running the ball with Leonard Fournette. And I think... You know, if they're able to get some separation against those Green Bay cornerbacks and maybe some safeties, I think it'll be enough to get by. The way that I see it, I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. I think this is going to be a defensive battle because I think, by and large, the offenses are just not at tip-top shape here. And I think as far as the score is, I'm going to say that Tampa wins this one like 24-20, to maybe like 21-17. to I think points are going to come at a premium here. Both teams are not healthy right now. Well, I should say the Bucs aren't healthy. It's just the Packers are, de- are dealing with uh, chemistry issues. But I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game. I think this is going to be like a rock'em, sock'em robot fight. I think it's going to come down to the end. And I think that Tom's going to be able to do enough to get past that Green Bay defense. So I'm going to go with the Bucs on this one. Regardless, we both said it's going to be a dogfight. There's no happy medium or in-between here, and I'm serious, man. I don't know about you guys in Tampa. I know it's been raining a shit ton here in Fort Myers pretty heavily, and I think that there's a hurricane somewhere brewing in the freaking There's another one. Out. Yeah, so there it's was like... Other, yeah, this is a separate if, one from the one that hit Puerto Rico. If, it's, if there's another one brewing, it's supposed to hit over the weekend, so it's, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some heavy rain in Tampa, which means there could very well be a very slip-and-slide kind of game. And if that's the case, I'm definitely going to have to side with Green Bay, man. I'm, I'm not saying that Leonard Fournette can't do it, but if that offensive line can't protect Tom, and if they can't open up holes for Leonard, I think that eventually that Tampa defense will break. And if not, that play action over the top, whether it has to be Robert Tunyon or a dip and dive with a running back in the flat, is going to make a huge dividend, bro. Yeah, I think when it comes to the Packers, they definitely got back on track playing what I would consider probably one of the more subpar teams in the NFL with the Chicago Bears. A little bit of mojo back. Yeah, I mean, they were able to stabilize some things just because I thought the Vikings pretty handily beat them in week one. But this is the best defense. This is the best defense that they've gone up so far. This is going to be quite a challenge just because of how Tampa's played so far. Tampa has been stifling. I mean, Tampa's defense made Jameis Winston look like the old Jameis Winston, the famous Jameis, uh, Jameis. And, um, you know, they were able to force turnovers left and right against New Orleans. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to do the same thing just because Aaron Rodgers, all things considered, doesn't turn the ball over that often. He's very smart with the rock. But overall, I think this is going to be a grudge match. I I just don't think this is going to be a high-flying game. This isn't going to be like what the Dolphins and the Ravens did last week where points were just Not coming left and right. It's This is going to be a, a tough, a, it's going to be a tough uphill battle for both teams. And scoring points is going to be difficult. And if they get them, it's going to be well-earned. So honestly, 
I wouldn't even mind playing both defenses in fantasy this week just because I think both defenses are actually going to put up decent fantasy point numbers at the end of the day. Yeah, turnovers turnovers are going to be pretty consistent in this game. I, I really think that both defenses are going to find a way to force it. And again, with the weather being as annoying as it may be, I definitely could see a, a decent amount of fumbles and maybe some interceptions here and again. So I agree completely. But overall, I'm not going to lie. I might be looking forward to this game more than the Dolphins game just because if Buffalo gets hot, man, it, it could very well be a runaway versus this game. There's a lot to prove. It's, it's Tom versus Aaron again. It's both teams struggling in their own respect. But at the same time, it's like, you know, Tampa's still kind of like the favorite here. So we'll have to see what happens because I know that we got plenty of other games to deep dive into. Oh, yeah. So uh, we'll keep things in the NFC for right now. We'll kick it over to the NFC West where we're going to focus on the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. So just to kind of give a quick preview of this game, uh, both teams are sitting at a one and one record. Uh, to start with the Cardinals, since they're the home team here. Uh, the Cardinals are coming off of a fantastic fourth quarter comeback against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, ended up tying the game at the end of regulation in the fourth quarter. And then the Cardinals were able to force a Hunter Renfro fumble and ended up converting it to a touchdown. It was a, it was a uh, fumble that they returned for a touchdown. Sealed the game at a score of 29 to 23. Uh, it was quite a game from the Cardinals. Uh, they really had a solid comeback in that game. And then to kick it over to the Rams, uh, the Rams did win against the Atlanta Falcons last week to get back to a one on one record. But I think it is safe to say that they definitely let their foot off the pedal in the second half because the Falcons made quite a comeback in that fourth quarter. Uh, the Falcons were dominating that game. Or not the Falcons. The Rams were dominating that game by and large until the fourth quarter. And then the Falcons really kind of made it a pretty solid contest at the end of it. The Rams finished winning the score by 31 to 27. So they do get back to a uh, 500 record. And now going into week three, uh, we got a solid matchup here between the Rams and the Cardinals. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, who do you think is going to come out on top when it comes to the Rams playing the Cardinals on Sunday? So the NFC West is obviously the best division, uh, one of the best divisions. I'm seat, you see, uh, the force of habit. I'm so used to saying that this is the best one because it's been the best for a while. So excuse me, I correct myself. One of the better divisions in football. But I'm looking at this and I'm saying both teams have had pretty bad games here and again. The Cardinals almost went 0-2. The Rams definitely almost lost that game like Kyle just alluded to against Atlanta last week. But they both found ways to hold on. Obviously, the Rams had to hold the lead versus Arizona had to play for their lives. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying both teams have to make adjustments here, right? The Rams have to make defensive adjustments to not give up these leads and not let teams claw their way back. Matthew Stafford's got to play flawless, man. He's had, I think, four or five turnovers already this season between interceptions and fumbles. The offensive line has looked lackluster. And let's be honest, Aaron Donald has looked relatively human as well as Jalen Ramsey because they haven't gotten into form yet, depending on who you ask. Now, if you look at Arizona on their side... Kyler Murray had to pretty much run all over the field just to make a couple of plays happen, whether that was a five-yard scramble for a touchdown where he ran for 80-some-odd yards, whether that was him scrambling to find Zach Ertz in the back of the end zone. I don't know. It's going to be a very tough matchup, but I will give the edge to the Rams because I do believe that their offensive firepower is going to be too much for the Arizona defense to, I guess, find a way to score. Excuse me, uh, find a way to stop. Uh, J.J. Watt's going to be the best pass rusher on that side. I think they find a way to at least slow him down. We all know he's not what he once was, but he will be in that backfield just because 
Dude, the Rams offensive line, like I said, has been subpar. They have to find a way to to, to, to limit him. Tyler Higby has been very solid lately. Uh, obviously, and we don't know we all know that Cooper Cup is one of the best receivers in the league, and not many people can guard him. But the Rams rush game has been very impressive for me specifically. Henderson's been playing solid, and obviously the whole situation with Cam Akers is just really weird. So we'll see what happens with that. I think that Matt Stafford is going to have the best game of the season, and I know that that's not saying much considering we're only in week three, but I think that he finds a way to dice up this Cardinals defense. Kyler Murray is going to have a couple of turnovers, and the Rams are going to take a commanding lead of the division this week. I am in agreement with you. I do think that the Rams are going to come out on top, but let me look at it here for a second. If I'm Sean McVay this week, I'm telling the players, we got to play 60 minutes all the way, you know, from... Kickoff in the first quarter to that final whistle at the end of the fourth quarter, you got to play 60 minutes. Just because if you're looking at the Cardinals, the Cardinals were down in that game against the Raiders last week and found ways to tie the game and then eventually win the game in overtime. And when it comes to the Rams specifically, I got to look at them against the Falcons last week. They took their foot off the pedal and the Falcons almost came back to win that game. They were on a chance to basically take a go-ahead touchdown late in the fourth quarter. They just didn't capitalize it. I think Jalen Ramsey ended up getting an interception at the goal line uh, that eventually sealed it. But the Rams got to play a full 60 minutes here. When it comes to the Rams, the Rams are still one of the better teams in the NFC. I mean, I still think that they're a top five team in the NFC just based off the fact that they're coming off of the Super Bowl championship last year. Granted, didn't get off to a good start against the Bills. The Bills handily beat them in week one. But at least that offense kind of stabilized a little bit just because they were effectively shut up by the Bills in week one. So putting 31 points against the board or 31 points on the board against the Falcons was a step in the right direction. But there's still some issues on this offense, especially with Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford has not been clean with the football. He's been turning the ball over quite consistently in the first two weeks of the year. And looking at the Cardinals, the Cardinals have been able to force turnovers. There was a big one last week that the Cardinals ended up scooping and scoring and running for a touchdown that was the game winner against the Raiders last week. So not only do the Rams have to play 60 minutes, they got to make sure that they're uh, secure with the football just because, let's face it, when it comes to Cam Akers specifically running the ball, he has a checkered history when it comes to running the football and being able to hold on to the football. And when it comes to Matt Stafford, this first, the first two weeks, he has looked inconsistent with turning the ball over quite frequently. But all things considered, I think the Rams offense is well far with what Arizona has at their disposal. I think that Cooper Cup's going to go out there and have another fantastic day. He had a great day last week against the Falcons. Wouldn't be surprised if he puts up somewhere between 6 to 10 catches, has over 100 yards receiving, and probably a touchdown or two. I like the fact that Matt Stafford and Allen Robinson were kind of on the same page. He definitely got integrated into the offense more consistently last week, had his first touchdown of the year. So if they're able to develop that chemistry going into this game, I think that'll be uh, a good thing moving forward with the Rams here. And as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the Rams defense, I think they're going to be able to effectively slow down Kyler Murray and that Cardinals offense, uh, just because outside of Marquise Brown and Zach Ertz, it seems like that offense is going to struggle. More than likely, I think James Conner is going to be out. He's dealing with an injury that's going to sideline him for a little bit. So definitely the Cardinals are dealing with some injuries here. I just don't think that they're going to be capable enough to overpower this Rams defense, even though that's, this Rams defense has not played up the snuff in the first two weeks. It's still early. They're still probably meshing to a certain extent, but I think that the Rams kind of get it together here in week three and get a pretty resounding win against the Cardinals. I do think that it is going to be a competitive game, but I do think that the Rams are going to make good second half adjustments and end up winning this game by about 10 points or so. I think if I had to put a score on it, I'd say the Rams win this one, maybe like 
30 to 20, somewhere around that margin. But as far as I see it, uh, the Rams will move to two and one in the season and the Cardinals would drop back to one and two going into week three or after week three, I should say. Like we said, a lot of these games being in the division are going to be very competitive. And we all know that the two of these teams have played very well, splitting the season series, if I'm not mistaken, last year as well. And you're like, well, Kyler Murray has been playing better as of late. I mean, obviously the first game he didn't play perfect, but he played the Chiefs. Last week, he willed this team completely back to life against the Raiders. And then you look on the other side and you say, well, you know what? Matt Stafford has struggled technically in both games because he's had about four interceptions over the course of the last couple games. So they got to ship it up, man. McVay's team does not look good, not convincing. That was our prediction to go to the Super Bowl alongside Buffalo. And it's looking like they barely may not even make it out of the freaking division the way that they've been playing lately. Bobby Wagner's got a... Bobby Wagner's got to step up. Aaron Donald's got to do something. Jalen Rager, excuse me. Jalen wow. Ramsey, I apologize for wow, insulting that, that, you like that. Flagging the play that was, on that one, bro. That, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah. That, I'm, go, I'm going back a couple yards. That was pretty bad. Uh, I think Ramsey's got to step it up. Man, He's got to show he is the best corner in football. He wants to be the best. He continues to talk about him being the best and him being not in midseason form yet and blah, 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 and all these podcasts that he's talking about. Bro, you dropped a couple of interceptions the last couple of weeks. You should easily have three or four. You're the best of the best. Show it. They don't have D-Hop on that side of the field. Lock up whoever the hell they're targeting. Even if it has to be Zach Ertz, do your thing. Yeah. Make it happen. And there's no excuses here. But I know for a fact that this game is going to be hopefully a little bit more competitive than I've already originally anticipated. But if the Rams were to run away with it, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's just when I look at the Rams, how do I phrase this? I think they're just figuring things out. And Kev, I, I know I'm kind of repeating myself here because I've said this a bunch of times over the last couple of weeks, it's September. And I understand that the first two weeks have not necessarily looked that great for the Rams as a unit. But, you know, if you're going to make mistakes, if you're going to lose games, lose them in September. At least learn from the mistakes early on so that you can apply yourself going into essentially the bulk stretch from October to December. Because to me, when it comes to the Rams, I don't think they're necessarily in their best form yet. I think, you know, they're still adjusting on the defensive side of the ball with having Bobby Wagner in the middle. And when it comes to the offense, integrating Allen Robinson into the fold. But overall, I think this team will really start, they will start getting it together probably by like week five, maybe week six. I think at first there's going to be some bumps along the road. Things are not going to go perfect. And I think just as time goes on, this team will get back into form, basically back into form to what we saw last year, where... They were the best team at the end of the day. Now, when it comes to how they're going to do when they get to the playoffs, no idea. But even looking at it from right now, I still think that this that the Rams are the, the best team in the NFC West. I think the only team that could really kind of give them a challenge at this point is probably the Cardinals. I, I won't rule out the 49ers. I have to see how the 49ers do with Jimmy G moving forward, even though that the 49ers have had success with Jimmy G at the helm. It's just... I still think that the Rams, from a personnel level, and just as far as execution is concerned, I think they're still better than every other team in the division. I don't even want to talk about Seattle. Seattle's kind of irrelevant to me, but yeah. overall, you know, it hasn't looked pretty. You know, that's a fair point to make, but teams have looked worse in the past and have been able to figure it out by October. And the Rams oh, may no, be agreed. no exception here. So to me, when it comes to the Rams, give it time. So they'll figure it out. 
I yeah, no, it's just, you know, obviously it's 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 a division game. You don't want to be losing division games. It's September, August, whatever the hell it is, yep. you only get to play them twice. And if it does come down neck and neck to the end of the year, this game could result in obviously dastardly effects at the end of the season saying we should have been better in the beginning of the year. So I, I, I hate when we continue to utilize. I say it myself, too. I'll, I'll be the first to admit. I hate saying it's early. You have 17 weeks. Used to be 16, but, you know, again, 17. You have 17 weeks. You're limited for mistakes. You practice all week. You have one game a week. You have to make it count. You have mm-hmm. to make sure that these games happen. If this is an interconference matchup against the Jets or something, maybe it's not that serious. This isn't just in conference. This is in division. And if Arizona starts to catch fire when DeAndre Hopkins comes back, James Conner is healthy, this could prove to be a big issue for the Rams in their next matchup. Now, I don't know their schedule, so I don't know when they play again. But if this is toward the latter half of the end of the year when they're pushing for a division title, this could provide to be a headache and say, shit, we shouldn't have played that game the way we did or we shouldn't have played better or we should have played better. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so. just—it's one of those things. I, there have been many times. I, I mean, I, everybody knows that I'm a Patriot fan. It just, I mean, look at my wall for God's sakes. The Patriots have gotten off to really slow starts in the past that ended up resulting in Super Bowl championships. Granted, you know, you had Tom Brady at the helm. That kind of helps a little bit. But, mm-hmm. but teams can look bad in September. I mean, the year that we got smoked by the Chiefs on Monday Night Football, lost oh forty-one God, to fourteen. We ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. You know, sometimes it kind of takes an ass beating by another team to get everything in order. And sometimes you could use that as motivation. You could use that as fuel to turn it back really quick. Hey, and, hey, hey. You know, both to- of these teams had their ass whooped, okay? Week one, both of them got smacked by the two best teams in football. They've had their awakening early. So I don't yeah, want to hey. hear anything else. Hey, that's why I said make your mistakes in September so that you can, you know, try to get successes in October, November, and December. That's just that's, that's just kind of how I see it. Use September as a month to kind of get everything together. Because it's not going to look pretty at first. T- let, let my team use this as a rebound so we can win out the rest of the year, but I'm not going to go down that path. I'm that's actually a- going to flip this, and we're going to go to you because we have a couple of other games to talk about before this ends. See, I caught you there. I'm not letting you talk about the Colts. I already had my rant and my breakdown. I'm not doing it mentally again. I already I, know that we're playing Kansas I, City I, this I, week. I, I'm not watching that damn game. I, I don't really need to bring up the Colts. They, they kind of do it to themselves. So I hate you. Anyway, so obviously going into the next matchup, we have a good matchup in the NFC North. The Detroit Lions are going up against the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. The Detroit Lions are coming off a very convincing win against the Commanders, whereas the Vikings are in the opposite realm, coming off of an embarrassing loss on Monday Night Football to the Eagles. But nevertheless, both teams are looking to take a lead in this division, and both teams are, to me, in opposite places to where I thought they would have been. I thought the Vikings would have played a lot better last week, and I thought the Lions would probably be 0-2 at this point. But here we are. The Lions have basically scored 60-some-odd points in the last couple of weeks. So, Kyle, I'm looking to you, and I'm asking... Who do you think is going to win this tough division battle and why? I think I'm going with the Lions here on this one. This honestly might be the first time where we've ever done a game analysis where we're talking about the Lions and I'm actually picking them. Because I have to say, this Lions offense is no joke. Like you said, Kev, they've put up over 30 points in every game that they played so far. Granted, they lost week one to the Eagles, but they made a resounding comeback in that game and they earned my respect in that one. To get that game to a three-point game, Uh, against Philly in week one. I thought that was something of remembrance for me. And then last week against the Commanders, they continued that success that they had against the Eagles with their offense. 
And I thought that Jared Goff was outstanding last week. Jared Goff had four touchdowns last week. And Amon Ra St. Brown, I hope I got his first name right, looked like an absolute beast. And there's a very good chance that he could continue that success going into this matchup. It's just overall, I like where Detroit is at. And I don't know if they're just kind of using hard knocks as an excuse to maybe overachieve a little bit here. But I was talking about them the other day. They're able to move the ball effectively, which Eric Goff passing the ball. DeAndre Swift has looked solid so far. And by and large, their defense is able to force turnovers. They're able to get the ball back for their offense, and Jared Goff and that offense are able to capitalize on it. Now, by and large, when I look at Minnesota, Minnesota's coming off probably the worst game that they'll play for at least the next couple of weeks. Kirk Cousins looked awful against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. I'm of the mindset that Kirk Cousins should never play another primetime again in his career with that performance. There's a very good chance that he got away with probably two or three picks that he had on top of what he had at the end of that game just because he had three interceptions if I, if I remember correctly against the Eagles more than likely it should have been like five or six just because of some of the errant passes that he threw and to be quite honest with you I thought their defense actually held up pretty well against Philly but you know you can only hold up so long when your quarterback is basically giving the ball back to the other team and there's a very good chance that Kirk Cousins could fall back into that same trap based on what Detroit's defense could do. The one thing that I would have to focus on Detroit, though, is they will have to slow down Kirk because, let's face it, when it comes to the Lions' defense, that is their Achilles heel. This Lions' defense has been giving up points left and right. They gave up over 25 last week to the Commanders. They almost gave up 40 to the Eagles in Week 1. And there's a very good chance, as long as Kirk Cousins doesn't turn the ball over like he did against the Eagles, that the Vikings could put up 30-plus points. When you have playmakers like Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, and also just throwing Irv Smith there for extra credit. And Dalvin Cook, just because Dalvin Cook is on my fantasy team, and hopefully he does a little bit better for me going into this week. Overall, though, this is going to be a very competitive matchup. I think this is actually going to be a high-scoring affair because I, both defenses, let's just say it, suck. And I do think that points are going to be pretty easy to come by here. But I'm going to go with the Lions on this one. They've shown me enough throughout the first two weeks of the year to have some confidence in them moving forward. I don't know what's going to happen for them for the rest of the year. But right now, I'm going to say the Lions win this one, the close one. I'm going to say that the Lions win this one by the score of 34-30. to 30. Um, I think Jared Goff does enough against that Vikings defense. And I think, by and large, I think DeAndre Swift and uh, Amon Ra St. Brown are going to have solid days like they had last week. And I just think that their offensive capability, their offensive firepower, I think it's going to reign supreme in this one when it's all said and done i couldn't agree more i definitely saw this matchup immediately and said the same thing i think the lines are definitely going to have the upset uh i think it's going to be a shootout just like you said both defenses are subpar but i do think that minnesota is going to make it a little bit closer than we both are anticipating just because kirk is going to be pissed at the performance that he had in philly justin jefferson is going to be pissed that he got locked up by darius slay Dalvin Cook is going to be pissed because he only had about 17 to 20 yards rushing last week against Philadelphia. So you're looking at it and you're saying the proficient leaders of this team offensively struggled and they didn't just struggle. They were shut down effectively almost throughout the entire game. Kirk Cousins was the leader there because he had three interceptions, but that offensive line was also in question because I believe that the pass rush was able to really get to Kirk towards the latter half of that game. Now, what Detroit does have is a gem in the rough, the diamond in the rough. Hutchinson, that boy from Michigan, he is no joke. Bro, three sacks already in two games. That man is bullying offensive linemen, and I think that that is going to continue, and I think he's going to get to Kirk Cousins another 
sack and a half, if not two sacks. I'm going to be bold and say maybe even three because that is how dominant he is playing thus far. Uh, we all know that the offense led by Jared Goff has been proficient, and we all know that you know that defense isn't necessarily something to be scared of outside of what I just mentioned with Hutchinson, but Dan Campbell and those boys are out there, and they're grinding. They're being tough. They're being gritty, and they're being competitive. 30-point games in each of the first two says a lot to me because everybody wrote off the lines for the most part at the beginning of the year. Hard knocks aside, I agree with Dan Campbell. I think this team could potentially even sneak into the playoffs because I think that they have probably one of the best offensive lines in the game. So I will go out and say on a limb, the Lions may win this a little bit more convincingly, but... I wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota comes out and puts up 30 as well. So I'm going to agree with Kyle. It's going to be in the upper 30s, but I'm going to go with maybe 38 to 30, 38 to 35, something of that magnitude because I just, I don't know, man. I know I'm basically contradicting myself in this entire segment because I said that the Lions wouldn't convincingly, but I think that Minnesota is going to make it competitive as well. I, it really depends on who's going to get the first stop, who's going to create the first turnover, what offense is going to be stopped. And it's going to be really tough, man, because you got the Vikings coming off of a, a, a horrible game on Monday, and you got the Lions building a lot of confidence in the last couple of games. So who's going to be able to ride that wave high? Who's going to force that first turnover, man? And what coaching staff is going to be able to outcoach the other? I think this is going to be a fun matchup. And I understand that I agree. You know, these NFC divisional games, uh, they can get very competitive. I just don't have a lot of faith that either defense is going to slow down the opposing offense. I think that Kirk is going to have a decent game simply just because it's not a primetime game. And it's basically going to come down to, like, I think they have a 1 o'clock game uh, for this for the Lions. And I don't know what happens with Kirk when it comes to those primetime games, but it, he at least kind of gets it together for these 1 o'clock games. So If it's under the lights, he's literally horrible. Uh, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think that Kirk Cousins should ever play another primetime game again. And just because... This is where the research department of the NFL should probably go to the marketing department in the NFL and be like, what are you guys doing scheduling Kirk Cousins for another primetime game? Like, you guys are idiots. I mean, NFL Twitter did not... They were outlandish with the Kirk slander after Monday. It was bad. I mean, the memes were going nuts all on social media. Basically, Monday night, going into Tuesday, and a little bit on Wednesday. And I'll tell you what, if he screws up again... Don't be surprised if that slander comes right back because Kirk kind of, not saying, like, deserves it, but doesn't really do anything to remedy it. So I think this is going to be a fun game, though. I like where the Lions are at right now. They're off to a decent start. Usually at this point, we're already kind of considering the Lions season to kind of be over just because we don't really expect them to be that good anyway. But overall... They've at least turned my head a little bit where I have to give them some respect. I have to give them a little bit of shine just based off of the fact that Jared Goff in this system looks decent so far. Off to a decent start. And the offense to a larger extent has looked amazing. Especially Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I'm going to have a difficult time saying his name. I'm surprised I don't freaking stumble over my own words when I try to pronounce his name. But It's okay. We got a long season to go. You'll, it, you'll jumble bro, it eventually. Bro, he had like two touchdowns. He had like nine catches, had over 100 yards receiving, and also had 60 yards on the ground as well. So he, if he could be utilized properly in that system, with not only in the receiving department, but in the rushing department as well, that's a scary look for NFL defenses to try to cover him up. So he's off to a very good start. I agree. And this next one, I think, is going to be another tough game because we're, we're dude, the divisional matchups right now are just 
They're just endless, and it's not going to stop. We got the Eagles traveling to Washington to play the Commanders. It is Carson Wentz's first time playing his former team, and I believe that this matchup has the potential to be one of the matchups of the week. Now, obviously, Philly is one of the best teams in the NFL, both offensively and defensively, after their beautiful output on Monday night. The Commanders are showing that they have a lot of grit, a lot of fight, obviously having a a tough-fought victory in Week 1, and then they fell short in Week 2. Uh, from actually coming back against the team we just talked about, the Lions. So, Kyle, I'm going to ask you, the matchup between Jalen Hurts, the replacement, and Carson Wentz, the originator, who do you think is going to be able to come out on top of this game and why? I'm going to favor the Eagles in this one uh, just because, let's face it, I think the Eagles are a top-five team in the NFL right now with how they've looked in these first two weeks. I was really impressed with what Jalen Hurts and that Eagles offense were able to do on Monday night against the Vikings last week. They were moving the ball up and down the field quite effectively against that Vikings defense. Granted, it didn't result in a lot of points. They didn't put up over 30 points in that game. But overall, just I thought Jalen was extremely effective with the RPO. He was extremely effective uh, using his legs to extend plays, uh, to be able to pass the ball downfield, to find open receivers. And by and large, if the Eagles could be able to maintain that consistency going into this matchup against Washington, I have no reason to doubt that they could beat Washington actually quite convincingly in this game. Not only that, I actually look at their defense here. Their defense was stifling against Kirk Cousins in that Vikings offense last week. Dalvin Cook was held relatively in check the entire day. Justin Jefferson was essentially locked down by Darius Slay. And Darius Slay was a standout from that game last week, as far as I'm concerned. And if they could be able to maintain that pass rush going up against Carson Wentz, which I do think that they will have an opportunity to be able to get Carson Wentz a couple times, I think that that Eagles defense is primed for a solid game here. Now, to kick it over to Washington, Washington has actually looked fairly decent so far, all things considered, now that Carson's with Washington. It's just, I don't have a lot of faith that that offense is going to be able to overpower that Eagles defense. It, it may just be that I was just super impressed by what the Eagles defense against uh, did against Kirk Cousins on Monday night, and that may be playing a factor here. But I think that the Eagles defense, I think they're going to be able to lock down Terry McLaurin. I think they're going to be able to force Carson Wentz into some bad throws. And let's say this, Kevin knows from experience on this one. Carson is definitely a quarterback that can throw the football into harm's way and make some pretty... I would say some pretty bad decisions, and I wouldn't be surprised if that Eagles defense can get turnover uh, can get two turnovers from Washington in this game. So, you know, when it comes to these NFC East battles, they're always competitive, they're always tough. But I, I think the Eagles have the requisite pieces to be able to slow down Washington in this one. I do think that this game will be competitive in the first half, but I think the Eagles are going to make second uh, are, are going to make great second half adjustments, and overall, I see the Eagles coming out on top in this one. I'm going to say the Eagles win this one by about. 7 to 10 points. Uh, there's a very good chance it could end up being a two-position game for the Eagles when it's all said and done. I'm going to say that the Eagles win this one by a score of 27 to 17 uh, when this game is all said and done. So it just seems like the two of us are going to be basically twins this entire day because I'm picking the freaking Eagles too. And you basically might as well call me an Eagles fan the way I've been cheering for them the past couple of years. But uh, Philly's going to blow them out, man. I, I don't I don't really have much faith in Carson. I think that the drama or the emotion is going to get to Carson. I think that the pass rush is going to find a way to make him make mistakes. I think that they'll find a way to get him either a couple of strip sacks, a couple of interceptions, maybe both. Uh, but I do think at some point the Eagles are going to just absolutely annihilate. I mean, obviously at this point they've given up 25-plus points in the last two weeks in terms of the commanders. The Eagles have one of the best offenses with the acquisitions of, of course, 
A.J. Brown and, of course, the ascension of Jalen Hurts at this point thus thus far in this season. And I really do think that they're just going to take it to another level with this being their first division matchup of the year, with this obviously being Carson Wentz. I think there's going to be a little bit of fuel behind it, maybe a little bit of a prove it. Like, hey, I'm better than you. I was the right decision for this organization to make. And again, with Carson Wentz being so loose with the football sometimes, we know that he can throw certain teams out of games. <clears throat> Sorry, I had something in my throat. Uh, but of course... Washington has played well. I can't take that away. Dotson has played well. Obviously, we have uh, Curtis Samuel playing well. And, of course, Terry McLaurin's one of the better receivers in football as well, up and coming. I just don't have faith in them to be able to keep up with this high-powered Eagles offense. And, of course, knowing that Darius Slay, James Bradbury, uh, McLeod, and, obviously, Tra- uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, that secondary is going to find a way to lock up, and they are going to make life a living hell for Carson between disguising coverages, maybe even putting a couple blitz packages in there to maybe rush him into some mistakes. But the pass rush, I feel like, is going to be all over him, whether that is Brandon Graham, whether that's Fletcher Cox, whether that's even rookie Jordan Davis. Philly's going to take this game. I think it's going to be at least 14 points, maybe even a little bit higher, maybe even 17. I think Philly runs away with this game by the score of... 35-21, maybe even Washington doesn't even score that much, maybe even 35-17. But I think Philly has a convincing win, and they move over to 3-0 and in the division. Yeah, I've actually been quite impressed by what the Eagles have done so far. And really, I, I guess what I kind of attribute it to is the fact that they are running the ball more effectively than they were last year. And okay, we kind of talked about the Eagles last year a little bit and their struggles early on, but they were able to kind of figured out in the second half of the year to find a way into a playoff spot. Now, granted, they got smoked by the Bucks in the wild card round, but there was at least some momentum to build off of with the way that they finished the regular season last year. And it seems like to me that Jalen has definitely taken a step up in his game, but I like the fact that they are putting a bigger emphasis on running the ball. And we look back to that Vikings matchup last week on Monday night, they were able to run the ball effectively. So it's just whether or not that they could be able to maintain that throughout the season. It's, I think the Eagles are a very solid team here moving forward. Um, I had them top five in our power rankings last week, or we had them in our top five in our power rankings last week, and I think it's well-deserved. It's just whether or not they could be able to maintain it. And as of right now, I have no reason to go against that. Yeah, it's going to be a test because, like I said uh, earlier, the first game, they let up 35 points to the Lions. Second game... They locked down one of the best offenses in football. So now this is going to be that prove-it week of was last week, not a fluke, but was last week kind of like a fling kind of thing? Are we going to be able to do it in the division where it matters most? Are we going to be able to shut down Carson Wentz in this offense, which seems to come alive in the second half of every single game they've played thus far? And quite frankly, are the commanders going to be able to stop or even come close to touching Jalen Hurts? Because he's got one of the best offensive lines in football too. And we know that his escapability has just always been probably at the top of his game. But... He's just developed so much with the addition of A.J. Brown, hitting receivers in stride, throwing the ball into tight windows, and then, of course, making the right decisions, whether that's throwing it away or sliding into a a two- or three-yard gain as opposed to taking those rough hits. I think that Jalen Hurts and the Eagles are really poised to make a decent run this season, but in terms of this week, they're not really going to let up, and I think that they're going to make a really, really big statement to say, this division's ours, and when we play Dallas and New York, they're going to get the same work that that they're doing right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I will say, though, that uh, when it comes to the NFC East, that one of the more surprising teams has probably been the Giants. I know we'll kind of talk about them in a minute, but they actually ha- the Eagles have some competition right now in the NFC East, which is actually kind of surprising just with the way that the Giants have started off. But, you know, we'll see. You know, week three should be fun for the Eagles. 
it'll be a fun matchup against the Commanders. That's just kind of how I see it. I mean, you're not wrong. And the NFC East, the trend continues. The Monday night matchup is, what do you know, an NFC matchup between the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants. The Dallas Cowboys are coming off of probably the most surprising win that, unfortunately, I would care to admit. They go and they beat the Cincinnati Bengals, and Cooper Rush goes out and performs relatively well. The, the Dallas defense continues to stifle and create turnovers. And then, of course, at the end of the day, the New York Giants are sitting at 2-0, and atop of the division, tied with Philly. They've had some pretty tough matchups, both of them being pretty much at the end of the game. And I think that this team has shown a lot of grit with Brian Dable and that offense taking pretty much a lot of gutsy decisions and playing without arguably their best receiver in Kenny Galladay. So the resurgence of Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones finding ways to keep the ball on his side of the field. And of course, you're going up against Cooper Rush in the Dallas defense. So I'm looking, it's probably going to be, in my opinion, Micah Parsons versus Saquon Barkley. Both playmakers on opposite sides of the ball for both teams. So, Kyle, who do you have coming out on this Monday night matchup and why? This is a tough one for me, but I am going to go with the Giants in this one. Uh, this is going to be a very competitive game just because when I look at the Giants, even though they are 2-0, and their margin of victory be between both games here is four points. They beat the Panthers by three points in week two last week. And in week one, they beat the Titans by one point. So these are extremely competitive games that the Giants are in. And I have to say, I have to kind of credit their defense. Their defense has really kind of been off to a solid start. And there's a very good chance that that could continue against the Cowboys here, just because even though that Cooper Rush did enough to get the Cowboys a win against the Bengals last week, they were only able to put up 20 points as a unit. Not really impressive. And I do think that the Giants' offense, you know, despite the fact, whatever you want to say about Daniel Jones and his inability to hold on to the football whenever there's pressure coming towards him, that offense can do enough. And I think this is going to be a game where if the Giants are smart, they look back to when the Cowboys played the Bucks in week one, where Leonard Fournette just absolutely ran roughshod over that Dallas defense. And that was a good counteract to their pass rush, which was stifling in week one. And it also continued in week two for the Cowboys. And I think by and large, this is going to be a largely a defensive battle here just because I think offenses, or I think both offenses here are going to struggle to put points on the board here. And even though that I picked the Giants to win this game, I don't think it's going to come convincingly. This is going to be a well-fought victory when it's all said and done. But I think that Saquon Barkley is going to have a solid day against that Cowboys defense just because I don't think that Cowboys defense is going to be able to hold up against that Giants O-line. I think the Giants are probably going to win the battle in the trenches here just to establish a foothold in the run game with Saquon. If Daniel Jones doesn't turn the ball over, I think that's probably the best thing moving forward with Giants here, but I don't have a lot of faith in that just because, I mean, people call him Danny Dimes. I don't really think that with him. It's more like Danny, it's more like Danny drops, but, you know, I'll just kind of leave it at that there. But, you know, when it comes to the Cowboys, their offense really doesn't do anything for me just because, by and large, even, even though they have decent targets to throw to with... Uh, Oh my God, with C.D. Lamb, uh, they have Zeke and Tony Pollard in the backfield. Just that offense has been really lacking in explosiveness this year so far. And, and I have no reason to believe that it's just going to turn around because they're playing against the Giants. I think the Giants defense has the requisite pieces to be able to slow down Cooper Rush, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, and uh, C.D. Lamb. But overall, I think when it's all said and done, I think the Giants are going to come out on top. I think this is going to be a relatively scoring game. I think it's going to be very similar to what the Giants have had when it comes to the margins of victory here that they've had in the first two weeks. I think the Giants win this one by about three points. And if I had to put a score on it, I think it's going to be the result of what 
the Cowboys had last week against the Bengals. I think the Giants are going to win this one 20-17. The Giants would bump up to 3-0 on the record, uh, for their record. And by and large, they could be the number one team in the NFC week uh, getting towards the end of September. So that's just kind of how I see it with this one playing out. I, I, I want to vote for the home team. You know, obviously being from New York, I want to vote for the Giants. I love Saquon Barkley. And I really like the way that Brian Dable has been able to coach this team. But I have to go with Dallas. I think that Micah Parsons is truly the ultimate game changer. And everybody is saying that he is the second coming of Lawrence Taylor. I'm not jumping on that bandwagon just yet. We're literally talking about the beginning of his second year. So I think we need to pump the brakes on that for just a minute. But I do think that Dallas's defense outside of Micah Parsons has overachieved. They held Joe Burrow and that team to under 25 points. Or excuse me, they, if I'm not mistaken, what was it under 21 points? They obviously went out and they kept Tampa to just a bunch of field goals and one total touchdown. I'm looking at this and saying Tampa's offense is better than the Giants' offense. And I do believe that the Cincinnati Bengals have a better offense. Outside of Saquon Barkley, you stack the box. You got to make Daniel Jones beat you. Eventually, he's going to cough up the football, whether that's via uh, a strip sack from Micah Parsons or him throwing the ball into coverage. I really don't believe, personally, that Daniel Jones is going to be able to combat this much adversity. Now, I know that them being home, them being 2-0, that, that might motivate them. And obviously, if Saquon has a pretty big day, I believe that that's going to be a huge asset for Daniel Jones to rely on the on the, on the uh the play action. I don't know why I just had a brain fart there. But if you go and you look at what Dallas has, Cooper Rush is a little bit more decisive. He's going to be making a little bit better plays than I think Dak would in this instance. I think that the split reps between Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott will keep them fresh. I don't think necessarily there's going to be a corner on the Giants to be able to stop CeeDee Lamb and from having his breakout game, which I believe he'll have a pretty big game coming out in week three. And of course, at the end of the day, I just have this weird gut feeling that Dallas is going to have somewhat over 125 yards on the ground. I think that, obviously, Cooper Rush is going to have a solid game, probably around 225, 250 again, with maybe a touchdown or two. But I really think that Micah Parsons is going to be this determining factor. And I know that they have, and by they, I mean the Giants, have arguably one of the best left tackles in the game with Andrew Thomas. But I'm thinking if they just line Micah on the right or they line him anywhere away from him, and even if they challenge him a couple reps at a time, I think that he is just too unstoppable to guard, and his impact in the game could be the difference maker, which is why I believe that Dallas is going to move to 2-1, and one, and the Giants, unfortunately, fall on Monday night. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this game could play either way. Um, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily impressed by Cooper Rush in Week 2. I mean, granted, the Cowboys did get the win. He did enough then, to win. Yeah, he did. I mean, I will give him that, but it's like, it wasn't like the most impressive performance, but it was enough. And, the drive you know, down in the fourth quarter, man, that was convincing. He dissected Cincinnati secondary, and he found a way to move I, it just enough. I get it, though. But if I remember correctly, Dallas was up 17-3 to going into the second half. And by You're and talking large, about one of the best offenses in football, though, with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon. That's not the case in New York. The best player on the team is a running back that has already been injury prone and, of course, is reliant upon their offensive line opening up those holes. That, that wasn't my point. My point was where did that Dallas offense go with Cooper Rush for the entire third quarter and pretty much the a big chunk of the fourth quarter? Granted, you know, got the game-winning drive when they needed it, but, man, like, they had an opportunity to be able to kind of cushion their lead in the second half, and they couldn't do that. And yeah. I will say that the Giants' defense, you know, all things considered here, there's a very good chance that when it comes to points for Dallas, it may come at a premium 
So this is their first road game of the year too. Their first two games were at home. So this will be an interesting challenge with the Cowboys as a unit. I'm just not convinced that the Cowboys are going to have enough offensive firepower uh, to get them over the Giants here. And that's not to say that the Giants necessarily have all the firepower to overtake the Cowboys either. I think this is largely going to depend on which defense is going to make a stand. I have a little bit more faith in the Giants at this point. Uh, and they've shown that they can win some really close competitive games so far. So I got to give it to them on this one. But this game could go either way. I'm not going to discredit that idea either. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I would love for the Giants to win. And obviously with me basically being a secondhand Eagles fan, I can't really cheer for either of them, but I do. I have developed somewhat of a hatred for Dallas. So picking them kind of makes me nauseous to a certain extent. And I know if my girl hears this or her parents, I'm going to get a lot of shit for this no matter what. Thankfully, this doesn't come out until Sunday. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But overall, I think it's going to be another good game. And these division matchups are just scattered across the entire weekend. And I cannot wait for week three. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be an awesome slate on Sunday. Obviously, we have the, the Monday night game between Dallas and New York. I think it's going to be a very fun week. Um, it was kind of funny because last week, we weren't really that impressed with the game slate. And it ended no. up being one of the more fun weekends that we've seen just without the amount of comebacks that we had in week two. So I don't know if th that same trend is going to continue into week three. But all things considered, it looks as if this week three game slate looks to be a solid one moving forward. We'll find out on Sunday, so it'll just nice. kind of depend on how these games play out individually, but should be fun. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Guys, to give you an update, I know that the Thursday night game pretty much just started. It is 0-0. Zero zero. Um, it looks like Pittsburgh is going to be punting to Cleveland with about six minutes to go. Not really worried about it. Actually, oh, excuse me, correction. I didn't see the field position. Looks like Pittsburgh is attempting a field goal, but... Something that obviously we're not going to sit here and watch with you guys on. We recorded, thankfully, a little bit early so we can get some rest. Kyle's got time to edit, and we both have time to at least enjoy somewhat of this game. And I use the word enjoy lightly. Um, there is some news out there in the NFL. Joe Hayden announced his retirement this week. Obviously, ooh, Pittsburgh just curved it, and he missed. Boswell literally looked like it was going down the center, and the wind just took oh, it. You got, you so got it the looks Twitch like app up, don't you? Oh, I do have the Twitch app up. Absolutely. Yeah. You gave so me hell it, for that last week. Hey, listen, at the end of the day, I found a way that, you know, I could watch the Prime games because I don't have Prime as a service. But anyway, Joe Hayden retires, and JPP looks like he's signing with the Ravens from what his agent had announced this week. So we will see if the pass rush will improve in the coming weeks. And Joe Hayden hangs it up after an incredible career with the Pittsburgh Steelers and obviously the Cleveland Browns, so he will retire as a Brown. As a Gator boy, I think that he had a pretty relatively solid career. But, you know, that's just some random news that I thought I'd kind of throw out there for the week. One of the best kick games in the NFL, though. His kick game was on point. Oh, that's facts, bro. That's facts. Yeah. His cleats were always on point, bro. Joe no, Hayden didn't play, bro. I, I, bro, I'm just talking about the amount of shoes that he had at home, bro. It was insane. Oh, I the closet. Oh, I know. His cleats were always lit. I did not know he was a sneakerhead like that. Oh, come on, bro. You know better I than swear. That. I swear. Bro, back in the day when Twitter used to be popping. Well, granted, it's still popping. There's never any... It's not like when we were growing up, though. That's different. It, it, that's another it, topic it, for another day. It, it's not the same, but... Oh, yeah. Joe Hayden had an elite, and probably still does, sneaker collection. There's no doubt I gotta about that. I got to look that up now. I got to look that up now. Yeah, it wasn't just game day cleats, bro. It wasn't just that. Well, I, I am ashamed as a as a proclaimed sneakerhead that I was not aware that you know, yeah, Joe Hayden been, was that guy. Listen, listen, I've been out of the game for a long time, but even I can recognize respect. Or I could rec respect uh, greatness when it came to Joe Hayden's freaking shoe game, bro. It was on point. I apologize, Joe. That's my bad, bro. Yeah, I, I mean, 
there's some other stories, I guess, that were out there. And Kevin, I kind of talked about the the Ime Yudoka thing about him potentially missing the whole year. Um, to be honest with you guys, when it comes to the whole suspension thing, it's it. I think it's a little bit outlandish uh, that he's going to get suspended a year based on this work complaint. Uh, not even I shouldn't even say complaint. It's more of like a workplace violation, the way that they phrased it. I think a year suspension is kind of crazy, all things considered. I mean, there are NBA players getting arrested left and right for, I won't say like serious charges, but there's some semi-serious charges when it comes to some of these players. You're not talking about a year-long suspension when it comes to a personal conduct policy. But with this one, I mean, not to really focus on the whole personal life thing with Ime. He can make whatever sort of choices he wants to. It doesn't shield him from the consequences of it. But a year-long suspension is kind of crazy, all things considered. Maybe a fine. You want to suspend him for a little bit? Okay. But for the entire year, that's a little excessive for me. Like I said, didn't make the best choices. That That's apparent. Just cheated on Nia Long. But... That boy crazy. That woman is a gem. But again, I am not getting into this shit because I think it is absolutely That's... stupid that this is literally in the media as blatantly obvious as it is, as, as annoying as it is. It's literally, Ime Udoko, Ime Udoko, Ime Udoko. It's like, I'm bro, like, who cares? Yeah, this is, this is kind of where I, I think the media have kind of largely drove it to a point of just, I don't know. It just seems a little bit it seems like they're taking the story a little bit farther than, than what it actually is. The only yep. thing that's kind of compelling in this whole story is the fact that he's getting suspended for a year, potentially because that's of it. this. The length of the suspension should be the only narrative, not the fact that they're going to go into details about who it was with, what I, the circumstances I could, I could are, their policy. It doesn't matter. Care less about it. It's just, yeah, the year-long suspension, yeah, that, don't, that doesn't sit right with me. That seems a little excessive, but it's not my organization to run, so... Facts. I'm not in that position, so we'll just leave it at that. But, yeah. I mean, other than that, Kev, that that pretty much covers the gamut for us. Um, if there's anything else you want to bring up, the floor is yours, but I got nothing else to bring up. That was the only thing I wanted to bring up with the email thing. Yeah, that, that about wraps it up for the most part. I'm looking at this, and I'm saying outside of maybe the Yankees trying to push for a playoff spot, I think the magic number is two to clinch a playoff berth. Aaron Judge has tied Babe Ruth with 60 home runs in a season and is one away from Roger Maris's famous 61. So we'll see if he breaks it in the next week or two. Hopefully he does. If he ties it, so be it. The fact that he is up there to potentially win the Triple Crown as a New York Yankee has just, just astounded me individually, and that just means that Cashman, Cashman, Give him the damn check. Give give it to him, son. Don't 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 let him leave. Stephen A. Smith made a crazy point, and he said, because the Mets owner is so crazy with that checkbook, he wouldn't be surprised if he gives him the blank check and says, "You don't want to leave New York? You don't have to. Just come over to Queens." If Aaron Judge goes to Queens. I don't think you understand the revolt that the Bronx is going to have. So I speak for all Yankee fans here. I speak for all baseball fans that just dislike the Mets in general. Do not let Aaron Judge go over to Queens. Don't let him take that train down the road. Like, just, just please, for the love of Christ, he is arguably the best player in all of baseball right now. He is a unanimous MVP, in my personal opinion, leading the league in RBIs, home runs, and batting average. You cannot let someone who bet on themselves leave because you didn't want to pay him early on. It's going to probably be upwards of $350 million minimum. 
give it to him because we cannot afford to play without him because there were too many instances this season where our offense went flat and he was the only one that was carrying us. That is all I'm going to say. But again, the New York Yankees are hopefully going to clinch a playoff spot within the coming weeks. Aaron Judge hopefully breaks the record and hopefully he gets assigned the extension that he rightfully deserves. I will say this though, just because he did it in the regular season, it does not guarantee that he's going to show up in the playoffs. And to me, that's going to be the big point here is can he continue the success that he had in the regular season into the playoffs? And that to me is the measuring stick that we have to use here. I mean, he's been solid in the playoffs throughout his tenure with the New York Yankees, but I think with this year specifically, I imagine that Yankees brass is looking like he's got to show out in the playoffs, you know, for us to be convinced that he's the guy moving forward for the next possibly 10 years. Carry us to a World Series, Aaron. Come on, bro. You can do it. You think so? Uh, Probably not. Oh, Amari Cooper just scored. Jacoby Brissett. That is 6-0 Browns. We picked the Browns in this one. We picked the Browns, exactly. So I don't really care. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, honestly, when it comes to the the Browns and the Steelers game, uh, you guys will know the result by the time that the episode drops. So I will just kind of leave it at that. Let you guys, you know, make whatever you want of it when the game is finished tomorrow or when the game is finished tonight. Tonight. You guys guys will know uh, tomorrow. So, Kev, I I got nothing else here. Um, Just want to uh, thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Uh, We appreciate the support wherever it comes from, whether it's listening to us on the audio platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You pretty much know the gamut when it comes to audio platforms. Wherever you guys listen to us, we definitely appreciate the support. We also appreciate you guys tuning in on YouTube, watching some of our video content uh, and TikTok. And now we're posting on Instagram. Uh, You know, we're covering most of the platforms here with our video content. And hopefully you guys appreciate it the way that we do. So uh, outside of that, I got nothing more to say. Kev, the floor is yours. Take this one home, bro. All righty. Well, Kyle already alluded to social media is doing great. The platforms are doing good. Um, I, I want it like I do every couple of weeks. I got to give a shout out to my partner. Dude, on days off, the man's putting on a full work day. Without him, we wouldn't be able to edit these videos. We wouldn't be able to put out this content as often as we do. And we wouldn't be as successful. We, I know we're not really doing anything right now, but we wouldn't be growing as fast as we are if it wasn't for him. I have to give a big shout out to him because it, I truly don't understand half the shit he does on the technical side. But man, the, if you guys have seen the TikTok edits are getting crazy, the YouTube shorts are going off. Obviously, the designs and the thumbnails have always been great, but they're just getting better with time. So, bro, again, we would not be here without you. So I just wanted to give you the kudos and the love that I do all the time and sincerely appreciate everything that you do for the podcast. But uh, outside of that, that's going to wrap it up for the week. We will see you guys again Sunday evening, and you guys will hear from us Monday, if I'm not mistaken, and trickled all throughout the weekend with content. But we appreciate the support, and we'll see y'all soon. Yep, see y'all. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast.
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.